But there is something that we recognize from this present creation that we might not expect to see in the next creation uh, unless it is revealed to us. Uh, you might notice that Revelation 21, 22 says nothing about Seattle being present in the new creation. It says nothing about America. Well, it says nothing about America in the whole Bible. Uh, we don't see um, Egypt. We don't see Gog, Magog. We don't see any of those things present in the new creation. We have no reason to believe uh, that uh, the present nations will exist there um, at all. We'll see a distinction in peoples, but not necessarily in lands and borders, except for Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, Jerusalem, uh, this Jerusalem is a heavenly city, not an earthly city. And we'll see that mostly in Hebrews. But we see in Nehemiah 11, and uh, there's probably 50 plus other places in scripture that I could give uh, references of where the current earthly Jerusalem is called the holy city. So this is called a new Jerusalem, the holy city. We see there is a continuity between these two Jerusalems. Uh, Nehemiah 11.1 1 says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine-tenths remained in the other cities, and the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So this is during the return after the captivity in Babylon, uh, where they are facing all sorts of opposition from surrounding nations uh, for returning to Jerusalem. Um, but Jerusalem here is called the Holy City, and it is consistently throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Physical location of Jerusalem, where we could go and visit today, is called a Holy City. But in Galatians 4.21, we see uh, that there is a spiritual distinction uh, between the present Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. Galatians 4.21, Paul says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Now, he's drawing on a uh, historical account of uh, Sarah and Hagar, but he is going to use it for a different purpose. He's going to create an allegory using these two men, or two, uh, two women, Sarah and Hagar, how Abraham had been promised a promised land, and that it would be given to a descendant of his, and uh, one earthly child was born, and one spiritual child was born. Uh, so this, Paul says, this is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. So what he's doing is using this allegory of Sarah and Hagar to uh, distinguish the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. The Old Covenant being the covenant of Moses uh, in Jeremiah 31, 32. Um, he makes this distinction as well that 
when they came out of the land of Egypt, God made a covenant with them, but the covenant that he's making now, the new covenant is not like the old one, uh, but it is a higher covenant, a more perfect covenant, because just like uh, just like the sun and the moon was created for the purpose of sustaining mankind without the presence of God, and just like the uh, the uh, the sea was created for the purpose of judging man in their sin, uh, the law of Moses was not brought in to make men righteous, but to show them their lack of righteousness and their need for God, their need for a new covenant, one in which there is salvation and not condemnation, um, and so. One belongs to the old Jerusalem. The law of Moses was their law, which would keep them in the land. If they obeyed the law, they would remain in the land of Jerusalem. But this new covenant establishes them in the new Jerusalem. Um, and it's not a uh, conditional covenant that they can break. In fact, it's one that secures and guarantees their obedience. Um, so this is the Jerusalem, which is above and it is free. It is of a different kind, um, one in which there is liberty, not law. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. Notice as an alien in the land of promise, that place where God brought him, um, Israel as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which, was, uh, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now this promised land that God gave to Abraham is the physical land of, uh, of Israel, and he will dwell in that during the millennial kingdom. He will be resurrected into it. Uh, but here the the place that he was physically on this earth was not the full promise that God had given him. He is still anticipating that full promise that is going to be seen in the new Jerusalem. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Uh, this earth, this present creation, was not where their uh, inheritance was to be found. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, uh, being Horeb, where he came from, or Horeb, uh, Haran, where he came from, uh, they would have had opportunity to return. He could have gone back to Haran, but he was awaiting God's promises faithfully. Um, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, a heavenly Jerusalem. Abraham understood that it was a heavenly promise that God had given him as well. They would receive the physical earthly um, in the kingdom, but there was an eternal promise of a, of a different created order. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their father, for he has prepared a city for them. And again, Hebrews 8, 4 uh, shows us uh, these two created orders paralleled. Now, if he were on earth, this is speaking of Christ, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, under the law of Moses. 
who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for, see, he says, that you make all these or all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. An important uh, note to make here about the Jerusalem on this earth versus the new Jerusalem is that the new Jerusalem is not made in the pattern of Jerusalem on earth, but rather it's the other way around. The Jerusalem in heaven, the promise that God made to Abraham of uh, abiding together with him, of being present with him, restoring that fellowship that was lost in Eden through Abraham and his descendants. This place where God prepared for this fellowship to take place was already made, already ready for Abraham. Um, and when he went into the promised land, and then when Moses took the sons of Israel back into the promised land, they were told to make a location for God's physical presence to dwell among them. And he was to make it in specific uh, replication of that which he was revealed on Mount Sinai. But he was revealed in Mount Sinai as the temple or the new Jerusalem uh, and the, uh, the pattern of the temple that is there. Moses was to make this to represent the heavenly Jerusalem already in existence so that Israel would dwell in a uh, pattern or a copy, a shadow of the things which were promised to them that they will receive in the new Jerusalem. And here in Hebrews 12, 22, we see, um, we, we see who lives there, essentially. Um, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. So God's angelic order will dwell there. The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Uh, this is a singular idea here uh, being controlled by a singular article. Uh, the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, God the Father, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, all those um, who have been made perfect, not just um, justified, but by the uh, sacrifice of Christ, they've actually received uh, that perfection promised to them. And to Jesus, the mediator, mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that redemption that has been made on their behalf. So we've got the person um, of the triune God, and we've got the redeemed assembly, as well as God's, um, God's created beings of a different order, the angels, all dwelling in the heavenly abode that was prepared for them. Now Hebrews 13, 12 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So one of the main issues in the book of Hebrews, um, in fact, it's not mentioned directly in Hebrews, but the occasion for writing it was that it is now nearing the late 60s AD, Probably the sign that Jesus had told Israel about in the Olivet Discourse of Jerusalem, the great city being surrounded, um, had occurred, and it was now time for them to flee the city. Um, Jesus told them when they see this sign, Jerusalem being surrounded on all sides, um, fly to the hills, essentially, get out of the city. 
The problem was that within the walls of the city was the temple, and only within the walls of the city in this temple could Judaism be practiced as it was described in the Old Testament. These Jews who had been converted to Christianity were considering defecting from the faith of Christ to return to Old Testament Judaism so that they would not endure the persecutions um, by the Jews. The writer of Hebrews is writing to say, what you have in Christ is so much better. You are not looking for this earthly um, city of Jerusalem. Get out of this earthly city of Jerusalem. It's about to be destroyed by the Romans. But we have a greater hope in the resurrection with the Messiah uh, of a heavenly Jerusalem. And that is the true uh, promise. This is a copy of the promise to come. So not only is Jerusalem then a heavenly city, the one which is not going to pass away when this creation passes away. Uh, notice that's why it was important to distinguish which heaven disappears, because the heaven which presently contains the new Jerusalem does not pass away when this creation passes away. The creation that passes away is that which was under the authority of the mediator, uh, the mediatorial throne, uh, which was governed by man, and so that man would rule responsibly on God's behalf. The new Jerusalem, the third heavens, um, was not part of that category, and it does not pass away. The new Jerusalem, um, which is what the present Jerusalem was patterned off of, when the present Jerusalem disappears, uh, the full promise of the new Jerusalem is revealed. But Jerusalem itself uh, is one of the few things that is consistent throughout the old and into the new creation, because it is the promise of an eternal, uh, or it was given uh, concerning an eternal covenant that God gave to David. First Chronicles 17, we read that it came about when David dwelt in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I am dwelling in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence with them in Israel. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it came about the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, thus says the Lord, You shall not build a house for me to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from one dwelling place to another. This was God's purpose with Israel, was that he would create a, a, uh, a nation in which he would dwell among them to foreshadow what is to come in the New Jerusalem. And so rather than having it built with hands by David, um, God is... Uh, going to build it himself, and what he's speaking of is a the eternal Jerusalem. First uh, Corinthians seventeen verse nine. Jumping ahead a bit, he says, "I will uh, appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and not be moved again. And the wicked will not waste them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel." And I, will, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I tell you that the Lord will build a house for you. God is going to build the house himself. In verse 11, we read, when your days are fulfilled, in other words, when you die, 
that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons. So a descendant not who is his son, but a descendant who will come from one of his sons. So this is not fulfilled in Solomon. After Solomon, the, uh, the uh, nation of Israel divides into two. Uh, the promise given to David was that he would be over the, the tribes of Israel. Um, this will occur uh, in the millennial kingdom. But again, look what happens here is that David is being given this promise as an eternal um, promise. And so it's going to continue into the eternal state as well. Um, I will establish his kingdom. So looking forward to that coming descendant from David. Uh, which looks ahead, of course, to Jesus, the Messiah. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Uh, this is actually First uh, Chronicles 17, 13, not 11. It says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. We're going to see that language appear again uh, pretty soon in Revelation 21. And I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it from him who was before you, speaking of Saul. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So we have four forever things here, four eternal elements to this covenant that will require entrance into the eternal uh, state. We have the him that will rule forever. That's the eternal descendant. Um, the Messiah. We have a house, a household. We have the kingdom, the domain over which he rules, and the throne, the locality of his rulership, where it is centralized. So all of this is going to be eternal and focused around the Messiah who is eternal, who is born of a different order, in order to bring those men from this order into the redemption um, of the saints. And so we see that in Revelation uh, 21 and 22, we see that this eternal order consists or uh, contains still Jerusalem and all the promises uh, contained or all the promises concerning Jerusalem towards Israel and also the other saints that have been uh, brought into the peoples of God. So Revelation 22 verse 3, we see both of these thrones, the mediatorial throne from earth and the universal throne of God, we see it merge. And this is one reason why this is an eternal order, uh, not created that there would be any destruction of this order, uh, because God is actually merging it with his universal throne of authority. For the first time ever, these thrones of authority are not going to be distinguished, where man uh, lost his, well, not his dominion, but man failed in his role uh, with Adam of mediating this creation on behalf of God in subjection to God's will. Now, Satan, as we see in uh, uh, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, especially Isaiah 14, his goal is to usurp not man's place over creation, but God's place over man over creation, to stand in the place of God, to mimic God's universal throne. And so while the mediatorial throne on earth was corrupted and needs to be vindicated by Christ in the millennial kingdom, where he rules um, effectively for God, the universal throne was never in threat because these two thrones were distinguished. But here we have a bringing together of these two thrones in, um, in the new creation. 
So Revelation 22 verse 3 says, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the land will be in it and his bond servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The throne of God is that universal throne. The throne of the lamb is the throne in Jerusalem upon which he ruled during the millennial kingdom. The throne that was given originally to Adam and reestablished through Abraham and brought into existence physically through uh, David. Now, these thrones are distinguished in the Greek more clearly than they are in the English. Uh, these kind of teal underlined uh, letters, these three letters, these are articles uh, that make a distinction between these two thrones. We have a throne uh, of God and one of the Lamb. These are two different thrones. Uh, and they are they are merged into one singular rulership where God the Son is going to rule together with God the Father over the new creation. And so we see this Jerusalem then coming down from the third heaven, coming down out of heaven from God as its source, and it is made ready. It is planted onto this new heavens and new earth, um, this heavenly Jerusalem that has been anticipating this new creation. Now we see also that it is uh, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this uh, is not a problem, except that there are two other places where a bride is described that sometimes gets confused here. Um, notice this article that begins this clause as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, John is creating a simile here. He is not saying that this city is a bride, but her adornment is that uh, representing a bride. Specifically, there is a different word used here. Instead of gune, it's numfain, which uh, they're not even related words. Um, one is a uh, the bride of Christ, in other words, the betrothed one to him. This one is the idea of a bride on her wedding day with all the, the glamour and the regalia about her. Uh, she's in her wedding garments, you might say. And this is what the new Jerusalem looks like, not her identity. Why this becomes an issue is in Revelation 21, verse 9. Uh, we read, uh, well, Revelation 20, verse 21, verse 9 and uh, verse 10, we see something that looks almost like an identity uh, of the city is a bride or a wife. And so let's look here. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And so this angel is promising, John, come here. I'm going to show you uh, the bride. The bride um, has now become the wife of the lamb. We saw the bride back in uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, uh, where the bride was prepared for the lamb. We saw that this was the end of the marriage ceremony and the beginning of the festivities would take place in the millennial kingdom with all those guests invited who were the resurrected of the other ages. And so this is the wife of the lamb, the group in which John would take place. And John had an express interest then in seeing what then is the estate of the church in the eternal order? And that's why we see that there is 
still a distinction between the peoples of God, but not necessarily the nations. Uh, there is the new Jerusalem present there, um, but even those uh, peoples of God, the church, will be present in them. In Revelation 21, verse 10, this angel who promised to show John the bride of the wife, or the bride of, uh, of the lamb, the wife of the lamb, carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now, what we have going on here in verse 10 is probably a metonym. It is the dwelling place, the location of God's bride. And so uh, the whole thing is uh, described here as the bride of the lamb, because the bride of the lamb is dwelling within this city. Uh, in Revelation 3, verse 12, uh, speaking to one of the churches uh, at the very beginning of this book, we had the promise that all those who were saved by faith in Christ uh, identified in his victory. Uh, so he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, uh, that being a marker of identity, kind of the idea of branding a horse uh, with the stables moniker. Here we will have the name of God written on us because we belong permanently to him and the name of the city of my God, uh, the new Jerusalem. That is uh, basically the branding of our, uh, the identity where we belong together with God in his city of fellowship, new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So that new name that you will receive from God, which is again, a fellowship concept, um, one of marriage. Um, this will all be, uh, you will be identified physically with God, with this city and that new name that he gives you. All right. That is Revelation chapter 21, verses one and two, the foundations of the new creation. And the next few weeks, we'll spend looking at the character, the quality, and um, some of the activities that we see uh, will be part of that new created order.